All right, so Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Well, this statement, I think, is true, that our experiences in life, our, our experiences in life can be transformative for us. Our experiences in life can be transformative all the way down to a desire level. What we experience in life can transform us, even transform what we desire. It's like this, uh, my entire life, or at least up until I was 14 years old, I hated, that's right, hated roller coasters, hated them. Like went to Disney World in sixth grade, screamed at my mother the entire time on rock and roller coaster because I was furious with her that she took me on this death machine, get me off of it. I hated roller coasters all the way up until I was 14. So I avoided them. Specifically, I did not like, like I could endure, I could endure roller coasters just kind of up and down, up and down, though I wasn't awesome. I could not think at all, why would somebody get on this thing to want to go upside down? What if you get stuck? What if it comes unlatched and then you die on this roller coaster? Don't get on those death machines. I was terrified of them. I hated them, so I avoided them. Until my freshman year in high school. So I was in band in high school. Yeah. yeah. So here's one of the perks of being in band, uh, at least at my high school. The band takes a trip every year. And every other year is in Texas, right? So it's in Texas, out of Texas, in Texas, out of Texas. Well, my freshman year, we happened to be in Texas, and we were in Dallas, Texas. And nobody goes to Dallas, Texas with a group of teenagers and doesn't think, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go to Six Flags over Texas, the home of every death machine in Dallas. So we go to Six Flags Over Texas in Dallas with all of the band. So this is all my friends, right? And I'm a freshman in high school, and we're going to go. And so I'm in this predicament now, right? So I know I'm going to get to a moment where my friends or some girl or some, somebody is like, let's ride this roller coaster. And I'm gonna, what am I going to do? I'm like, no, I'm scared. I don't want to do it. <laughs> because I'm 14, right? So I'm obviously a man at that point. I have to show everybody that I am. So like, I, I'm just in this like issue of like, uh, I have to go to the bathroom again or something. He's like, kid, you've been 27 times to the bathroom today. But, but I'm really like, th- like thinking through how do I deal with this until this senior dude who uh, was my big brother in band, right? They do this big brother, uh, little brother thing. Comes to me and he's like, hey, freshman. He called me freshman. That was it. <laughs> Love you too. Hey, freshmen, we're riding this roller coaster together. Okay. <laughs> and we get on this roller coaster. I don't even think it went upside down, but I didn't want to ride it because I hate them. And we rode this roller coaster, and I got off, and I was like, that was awesome. Let's do that again. <laughs> Something happened in me. This experience that I had transformed something in me to go from hating these things to I can't get enough of them, let's do this again. And to this, like my wife and I, as a married couple, went on a vacation to a Six Flags. It's like, mm, romantic, Kate. It was awesome, all right? It was awesome. <laughs> they're great. I love them. They're, I just think they're so fun at this point. This experience in my life transformed me, and it transformed not just me, but it transformed a desire in me, such that I went from not desiring something to desiring something because of this experience that I had. I want to tell you that. Because this is what the gospel does to us. 
when we have this experience with God through Christ, through his death and his resurrection from the dead, it doesn't just get us out of hell, it transforms us all the way down to what we desire. This is what the gospel does. And this is what Jesus is going to address today in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. So Matthew chapter 5, we'll read Matthew 5, verse 6. Just one verse, Matthew 5, verse 6. Jesus says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. If you'll remember, we've been in this series called B for the last few weeks, moving through the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, because this is, what they, this is what the Beatitudes are. They are markers. They are characteristics of what those who are in the kingdom ought to be. They are markers. They are characteristics of what Christians ought to be. So we're doing this. So for those of you that say, I am a Christian, I am a follower of Jesus, you can hold your life up to the Beatitudes and say, is this what my life looks like? Have I identified myself as poor in spirit? Have I identified myself as one who is mourning their sin? Do I, am I marked by meekness like we talked about last week? That's why we're looking at the Beatitudes to look and say, is this what we look like when we say that we are followers of Jesus because this is what Jesus says that people that live in the kingdom look like? And if you're in here and you're like, I'm not a follower of Jesus, so how in the world is this for me? Is what I hope, what I hope that you would get out of this is that you would see that there's no better life than life in the kingdom of God. It's not just another kind of life, but it's the best kind of life. In fact, it's the fullest kind of life. I hope that's what you would see as we move through the Beatitudes. But here's the main idea of this from Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Those that live in the kingdom find satisfaction from desiring what God desires. Those that live in the kingdom find satisfaction from desiring what God desires. So if you'll remember, there is a structure to these Beatitudes. All of them are structured like this. Blessed are who for why. Blessed are these people because this reason. That's how it's going to be structured. All of these Beatitudes have been structured that way. All of them ahead of this will be structured that way. Here is who the blessed people are. Here is why they are blessed. So here's how, why, let's go through this structure with Matthew chapter 5 verse Six, who is blessed? What is one of the markers of those that live in the kingdom? This is what Jesus says. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Two questions that I want to ask of this. Two questions. Who is hungry and thirsty that Jesus is talking about? And why are they hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Who is hungry and thirsty And why is righteousness what they are hungry and thirsty for? So those are two questions I want to answer in this section of who is blessed. So who is hungry and thirsty? Who is Jesus identifying as being hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Well, the other Beatitudes actually help us with this. Matthew chapter 5, let's just back up. Matthew chapter 5, 3 through 5, Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus identified, there are people that I've identified as spiritually bankrupt. They have no hope before God because of their sin. And as a result, verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They mourn their sin. They hate the fact that they have sinned against a holy God, and they have no ability to fix it. And then verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those that don't, those that don't 
lift themselves up above others, those that don't try to appeal to get uh, revenge when they have been wronged. These are the kind of people that Jesus is talking about that are those that are hungry and thirsty. Those that are hungry and thirsty here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 are those that have been transformed by the gospel and are living in the kingdom of God. Those that are hungry and thirsty here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 are those that have been transformed by the gospel. They have understood they are poor in spirit. They've mourned their sin. They have not sought to, to promote their own way, but humbled themselves before God and others. And now they find themselves hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness are those that have been transformed by the gospel and live in the kingdom. These are Christians. But specifically, what are they hungry and thirsty for? Jesus says they're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And so the second question that I want to ask is this. Why is righteousness what those in the kingdom hunger and thirst for? Why is righteousness what they are hungry for? Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 3 helps us out. If then you have been raised with Christ, this is speaking about Christians, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ, is, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For, here's why, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul says to the church at Colossae, You have been raised with Christ. If this is who you say that you are, you ought to seek Christ. You ought to seek the things that are above. You shouldn't seek the things that are on earth. You shouldn't be after the things of the world. Why? Because you have died. Your old self is gone. You have become something different because of Jesus. So why is it that the people of God that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5 are hungering and thirsting for righteousness? But because, because when they came to Christ, they got different desires. They down desire what God desires. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 and 17, makes this a little bit more clear. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one who is in Christ according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, because in Christ, we're something different. The gospel transforms us. When we come into the kingdom, our desires begin to change. We begin to desire what God desires. Not perfectly, but differently. When we come to the kingdom, when we become Christians, our desires begin to change because of what Jesus has accomplished. Those in the kingdom now desire what God desires for their life and for the life of the world that's around them. Those that come to the kingdom get new desires. This is what the gospel is accomplishing. Jesus did not die and rise from the dead simply to keep you out of hell. It's way more than that. Jesus died and rose from the dead to transform you into the kind of person that you were designed by God to be. 
Christianity is not about avoiding hell and hoping to get into heaven where there are streets of gold and I get wings and this will be awesome. That's not it. We believe Jesus because he is the one who has lived, died, and risen from the dead to give us access to the God who transforms us into the kind of people we were designed to be. That includes our desires. This is what the gospel is doing. And this is why those in the kingdom hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because they've been transformed by the gospel. So let's just answer it explicitly. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Here's our definition. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to desire what God desires. It's to desire what God desires in your life and in the world around you. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to desire what God desires in your life and in the world around you. So let's talk about our life. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to desire what God desires in our life. This is what it says in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions, or maybe you could say desires. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Pause. Peter's instruction to these people is, you want to live obediently to God. Don't be conformed, sucked back into, drawn into the old things that you desired, the passions of your former ignorance. But, verse 15, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness in your life? It means to desire what God desires in your life. It means to desire to live God's way. It means to desire to live in accordance with the design that God has given you for life as a human, for life in the kingdom of God. That's what it means to live as one that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. You desire what God desires. You love what God loves. You hate what God hates. You are for what God is for. You are against what God is against. You desire to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. You hunger and you thirst for righteousness. You have this desire in you that's been transformed by the gospel to be more like Jesus. When you come to Christ, you get this desire because you are aware, I'm not what I should be, I'm not what I was, but I'm certainly not what I should be. I desire to be more like Jesus. And you have a hunger and a thirst for that righteousness. You desire what God desires. But you not only desire what God desires in your life, you desire what God desires in the world around you. See, the hunger and thirst for righteousness is not just an individual thing, it's a global thing. To desire what God desires is to be for what God is for. And if God is for justice, you are for justice. If God is for peace, then you are for peace. And if God is, God is for helping, then you are for helping. And if God is for caring for the widow and the orphan, then you are for caring for the widow and the orphan because to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to desire what God desires. This is what Jesus says in, the, in this Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer is this, God, 
We desire what you desire to happen on earth, just like it's happening in heaven. We are hungry for it. We are thirsty for it. We desire it, God. We want what you want, not only in our life, but in the world around us. Why is it that Christians should be motivated to serve, to go on mission, to go and care for people that are in need, that are hungry, that are hurting, that need medical care, that need homes? Why is it that Christians should be motivated to do that? Not because it's nice. Because they are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. To see God's ways established on the earth. They want the kingdom to come. And God's will to be done here on earth, just like it is in heaven. And they are agents of making it happen. If you are in Christ, you are an agent of seeing the kingdom of God come to earth. So let's be a part of it. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We desire what God desires in our life and in the world around us. Why are they blessed? We know who is blessed. But why are they blessed? Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For why? And Jesus says, for they shall be satisfied. They shall be satisfied. Well, how, how is it that they will be satisfied? Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, those that long for what God longs for, those that desire what God desires, how will they be satisfied? So let's just use the two categories that we already have, have provided. How will they be satisfied? How will we be satisfied in our life when we desire what God desires? And how will the world be satisfied when we desire what God desires? Well, we're satisfied when we desire what God desires for our life because when you desire what God desires for your life, you are living exactly how you were designed to live. Therefore, you're living the most satisfying way possible. When you desire to live God's way and do so, you are living the way you were designed to live and therefore living the most satisfying life you will be tempted and lured into believing there are way more satisfying avenues to your life. And all of them, all of them are lies. You'll be tempted to believe that success will be more satisfying, that pleasure will be more satisfying, that substance will be more satisfying, that grades and achievement will be more satisfying, that sports will be more satisfying, and fill in the blank for whatever it is that you have in your head. No, 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 I think this is more satisfying. Boyfriend, girlfriend, friendships, popularity, those things, that's what's going to satisfy me. But you get a way different picture from the Bible. Those things aren't necessarily bad. They were just never meant to satisfy you. And in fact, they won't. Some of you have emotional scars to prove it. He or she didn't satisfy me. In fact, they bailed. Sports weren't as satisfying because I blew out my knee and now I don't get to play anymore. Achievement was not as satisfying as I thought because... I tried really hard and didn't make the grade. And on and on the list could go. We are a people, me included. It searched the world for satisfaction everywhere but the right source. All the while Jesus is saying, 
Come and hunger and thirst for righteousness and you'll be satisfied. Come and desire what God desires. Come and live God's way and you'll be satisfied. When we live in accordance with God's design for our life, we will find the most satisfying life available to us. In fact, that's what Jesus says in John chapter 10. John 10, 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I, that's Jesus, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus just told you, here's why I showed up, so that you'd have life and you'd have it abundantly. That does not sound like, you know what, you, you know what Christians are? They're just a bunch of fun-sucking, boring rule followers. That is the exact opposite of what Jesus just said. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Living according to God's design is to live abundant life, the most satisfying life. Again, in John 15, verse 11, this is what Jesus says about what it means to abide in him. Here's why. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus says, I want you to abide in me, and I in you, and my words to abide in you. You know why? So that you would have full joy. Sign me up for that deal, Jesus. I'm on. But we, will we hear lies of the enemy or lies of the culture or whatever that say, no, that's not what Jesus is for. Jesus is for you just following a bunch of rules and having no fun in life. And the Bible t- shows us something way different. That God's design for life is actually life abundant. is actually fullness of joy. It's actually the most satisfying life possible. So then, let's desire what God desires in our life. And find satisfaction. If we're honest, if you're in here and you're saying, yeah, 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 I'm a follower of Jesus. If you're just honest, when you don't live according to God's design, you taste and see how unsatisfying it is. I mean, if you're just honest about it, you may have dove off into some things that you shouldn't have. And you wouldn't necessarily admit it to people, but in your brain, you're thinking, that wasn't quite what I thought it would be. I thought it would be awesome. It wasn't. Or maybe it was for a moment, but it's not anymore. It's just not as satisfying as I thought it would be. It's because it was never meant to satisfy you. There's one place for you to be satisfied. It's Jesus. It's his kingdom. So hunger and thirst for righteousness. Live God's way. It's the most satisfying life possible. How will we be satisfied in desiring what God desires for the world around us? Because there is no more satisfying way for the world to operate than God's way. Because God designed the world. So there's no better way for humanity and the world to operate than God's way. Because God designed the world. In fact, the scriptures say, That creation is actually telling us that they long for God's design to happen again. Romans chapter 8, 18 through 22 says this, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 19, For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the Son of God. Creation itself is saying we cannot wait for a day to come. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility. It was cursed too, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption 
and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know. What do we know? We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The creation itself is longing for God's design to be fully restored on earth. It cannot wait. It knows this is not how it was designed to be. And the way it was designed to be is way better than this. It's way more satisfying. So we long for it, we hunger for it, we thirst for it, we want it. So friends, if creation itself is groaning for that, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we desire what God desires for the world around us? Shouldn't we look into brokenness as Christ followers and not help but be overwhelmed and run into it to say, we have the solution It's Christ. He's the healer of brokenness. He's the freer from sin. This is what happens when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see brokenness and desire for it to be fixed by the only one that can fix it. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness are those that desire what God desires in their life and in the world around them. But I understand in this moment, Cade, I still have desires that aren't what God desires. I am a Christian, Cade. I, like, I, I know that I'm a Christ follower, but I've still got desires that I know, that I know aren't what God desires. Does that mean that maybe I'm not a Christian? No. Here's how, here's how you can probably help yourself tell the difference. If you know there are desires in you that are not what God desires and you actively struggle against it, that's a good sign that you're a follower of Jesus. Because you're aware this desire is not from God and I don't want this and I will actively fight against it. I will confess it to people. I will let them know. I will bring it into the light and let God kill it. And I will go to the scriptures and declare what is actually true. I will fight against this because this is not a godly desire. And my desires are being transformed day by day. I'm being made into the image of Jesus. I will fight. So if that's you, that's a good sign that you're a follower of Christ. Now, if you're in here and you're thinking, I do have some desires in me that probably aren't from God. And honestly, I'm just not sure it's that big of a deal. It's my life. I feel like I know best. You need to ask yourself another question. Do you actually live in the kingdom of God? Because people that live in the kingdom of God desire what God desires. They hunger and thirst for it, in fact. Not perfectly, but differently, but progressively, more and more. Day by day, they see this is what God desires and I want what God desires because it's the most satisfying way to live. It's the most satisfying way for the world to operate. I want that in my life and in the world. And so they fight for it. They hunger for it. Paul actually explains this in Romans chapter 7. He explains this very fight that you might feel. Romans chapter 7, 15 through 20. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. 
For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do, evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Many of you might even feel or have said the words of verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I am warring against this thing in me that is slowly dying by the power of the Spirit called my old self or your flesh or whatever it is that you classify it as. And it's not your new self. It is not yourself in Christ. It is dying. Your old self is passed away and is passing away, but you still have to deal with sin day by day. And you're still tempted day by day. And you have to fight. And sometimes, the very thing that you are trying so hard not to do, you do. You war against it. But listen, the struggle that you face Not the fact that you struggle against it, but the fact that you are struggling to fight against it because you hate it. That struggle is proof that you are are a follower of Jesus. It's proof that you belong to God. Because if you didn't, why would you care? Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness notice sin in themselves and actively fight. People that live in the kingdom don't make excuse for their sin. They kill it. 2 Peter 3, 13 says this. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which, in which righteousness dwells. So is the promise of Jesus now or is it for the future? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? For they shall be satisfied. Okay, so am I satisfied now or am I satisfied in the future? The answer to that is yes. You will be satisfied now. And you will be most satisfied in the future. The Beatitudes are a future, a current fulfillment, and a future promise. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied right now, and will be future satisfied when God establishes His kingdom fully on the earth. When the new heavens and new earth are established, and we live as God has designed for us to live, we will be most fully satisfied. Those, who, those of us who have hungered and thirsted for righteousness, we will be most satisfied when God fully establishes his kingdom on earth like it is in heaven. So, Christian, let me ask you a few questions. Do you desire what God desires in your life and in the world around you? And if you don't, why don't you? Is it because you have unrepentant sin in your life? You're actively rebelling against God? My invitation would be for you to confess, walk in the light, and find freedom. The sin that you're pursuing will not be as satisfying as you think it is. It won't. It's a lie. It's cheap. It will be like drinking sand it will only make you thirsty. And if you're in sin and you think, look, I know that I'm in sin and I know that it's not satisfying, but I'm so ashamed of it, I cannot tell somebody. False. In fact, you need to tell somebody. And when you tell somebody, 
I hope that you taste and see the grace of God through another person that looks you in the face and says, Jesus' blood covers this. And 1 John 1, 9 is all the more true in your life. We confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise that you get. So do you desire what God desires? If it's not because of unrepentant sin, is it because you don't actually live in the kingdom? It's because you don't follow Christ. Is it because you bought into religion and not Christianity? My invitation to you would be come and follow Jesus. There's no better life. There's no more satisfying life. So friend, come and follow Jesus. Come and live in the kingdom. There's no better life.